Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For your love is ever before me, and I, will, I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence. And go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me. And be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly, I will praise the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help this morning. We pray that you might open our, our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Open our ears to hear from you. And we pray that you might teach us this morning. Uh, teach us to pray. Teach us to be open before you. And to do all that, trusting in the Lord Jesus, delighting in him, and doing it in his name. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And uh, as you're sitting down, if you could uh, be picking up a a Bible. And uh, turning back to the uh, psalm we had read for us a little earlier, Psalm 26. That's uh, page 556 in the Church Bibles. Page 556 and Psalm 26. 26. Last uh, Wednesday evening at church family prayer, uh, if you were there, uh, you'll know that we were praying at the end for the persecuted church in Iran. And uh, we prayed for three pastors in prison uh, because of their faith in Christ. And uh, they were Pastor Burnham Irani, who's in solitary confinement with health issues. And uh, he's facing execution uh, for converting from Islam himself and encouraging others to do the same. And uh, there's also Pastor Matthias Hagnajad, accused of spreading corruption by preaching the gospel. And Pastor Sayyad Abad-Ini, in grave danger now, uh, following his transfer to uh, one of the most notorious and deadliest prisons in the world. And as we were praying for them on Wednesday, I was thinking about what it would feel like to be on the the receiving end of such sort of obvious and extreme and blatant injustice. And it was quite hard to imagine. You know, I get affronted when my children accuse me, uh, for example, of eating the last biscuit in the biscuit tin. Uh, That is, I get affronted on the very rare occasions Uh, When it wasn't me who ate the last biscuits in the biscuit tin, on those occasions, I do cry out, I'm blameless, I'm innocent, my hands are clean, clean from crumbs, it wasn't me. So goodness knows what I'd be like facing a real 
injustice. Now on Sunday morning, starting from two weeks ago, we began to look at uh, four psalms of lament, four in a row, and uh, this is the second of them. And through these psalms, God is teaching us uh, many things, but certainly teaching us to pray, and to teaching us to pray with an openness before him, which certainly involves pouring out all of our anguish and suffering, and you get a real sense of that in this psalm. But it may also even include an element of complaint against the Lord. You know, so we cry out, why is this happening to me, Lord? How can this be good? What are you doing to me? Now, I think in our prayers, we might hesitate to pray like that. Uh, but the psalmists did it and actively encouraged God's people to join in with them too. <clears throat> and here they are in the Bible uh, for us to join in today. And in Psalm 26, the cry is, roughly speaking, this. It's, why is this injustice happening to me when I haven't done anything wrong? That's basically what David is praying here. But I imagine that you're already wondering, could I ever pray this psalm for myself? Psalm 26 is uh, what's what's sometimes called a protestation of innocence. And uh, prayers like this are actually surprisingly common in the Psalms. You know, they're, they're spread throughout, so there are quite a number of them. Um, but I do want to acknowledge that these are, these are difficult prayers for us to engage with. So we hear David say, verse 1 of the Psalm, I have led a blameless life. And uh, he says it again in verse 11, I lead a blameless life. And uh, our first instincts you know, if we've been around a bit, is to to think, well, how can he say that? That just can't be true. We think, what about, uh, for example, 1 John uh, 1 verse 8, uh, which we often say here on uh, on Sundays, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I've got uh, one book in my study which claims that no Christian could ever pray the words of this psalm. But I want to argue this morning that there are some situations where we might want to turn to this psalm and pray something like this. Maybe not exactly these words, uh, but something like this. And maybe this isn't a psalm, you know, maybe this isn't a psalm that we should pray regularly for ourselves. Uh, But as we've just been thinking, there's plenty of injustice in the world. So this is a prayer, actually, we can pray regularly for others. And don't think that you'll never have to pray this, this psalm for yourself, because there's an increasingly high chance that you will. And I want to argue that David is giving us here the words to bring those situations of injustice openly before the Lord, helping us to delight in our relationship with him, and helping us too to cry out for deliverance. And so let me see if I can persuade you this morning, uh, taking the psalm in three parts. Uh, So part one will be verses one to five, bringing an injustice to the Lord. And then part two will be uh, verses six to eight, uh, encouraging us to delight delight in our relationship with the Lord. And then part three, uh, encouraging us to cry out for deliverance. Uh, You may have heard Rob read this psalm earlier earlier, and and I thought, my goodness, what on earth is that all about? Uh, But let's take a closer look now. And beginning with verses 1 to 5, where David himself opens up before the Lord and encourages us to do the same 
in some situation of injustice, says David, verses one to five, bring it openly before the Lord. Bring it openly before the Lord. This is what he says from verse one, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Verse one, vindicate me, says David. Or we might say, judge me. Verse two, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. In fact, literally, David says, examine my kidneys and my heart, which sounds rather strange, doesn't it? It sounds like some sort of intense, you know, internal surgical exploration. You know, when I'm watching TV and documentaries sort of come up, maybe accidentally, uh, with this sort of thing going on, I sort of recoil in horror. I said, turn it off, turn it off. I don't want to see this. Except that this is, in some ways, even worse. This is a spiritual investigation that David is talking about here. Even worse then. David is inviting the Lord. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's inviting the Lord to cut him open and examine his deepest, deepest secrets and the inmost parts of his life and character. And I suppose that's what takes our breath about, away about this psalm. That just seems just such an extraordinary thing to do. We, we, we will think, I think, you know, is that, is that really a good idea? Wow. You know, you'd have to be pretty brave, wouldn't you? You'd be pretty sure of yourself to open yourself up to that kind of investigation by the Lord. And I suppose the phrase which makes us especially hesitate is is that one in verse one, repeated again in verse 11. For I have led a blameless life, says David. And we think, what? Really? But I do want to argue this morning that our hesitation about that phrase is is at least in part down to a misunderstanding. Uh, You see, when David says blameless here, he doesn't mean perfect. So I completely concede that if if blameless here did mean perfect, then there'd be a problem. And David would then be arrogantly claiming something impossible. And by getting his people to join in with him, saying this psalm together, he'd be encouraging others to do the same. And that would be a a, a real problem. Now there was a a strand of teaching popular in this country uh, that claimed that some kind of sinless perfection was possible in the Christian life. So for example, at the end of the 19th century, there's a certain William Boardman was promoting what he called the higher Christian life. And uh, I imagine he would be very happy to pray Psalm 26 for himself, taking that word blameless to mean perfect and sinless. That was, I want to say though, a very damaging kind of teaching. Thankfully, it's a kind of teaching that's faded away. Although I have to say I'm a little sad about that in a way because it means I'll never get to try what David Jackman suggests when you come across someone claiming sinless perfection, uh, which is to take a glass of cold water and throw it over them uh, to see what happens. I just think, you know, it would just be a gloriously funny thing to do, wouldn't it? Uh, To watch uh, someone just disintegrate in that moment. And all the pretense to fall away. I'm, you know, I'm slightly disappointed I'm probably never going to get a chance to do that. Which, of course, tells you something about my heart. 
and uh, that it certainly isn't blameless. But when David here says blameless, he doesn't mean perfect or sinless. In fact, we don't need to look very far to, to find out that that's the case. You just have to look up again at Psalm 25. Have a look at Psalm 25, verse 19, for example, also a Psalm of David, where David prays, Take away my sins. You know, we already know that he's a sinner. And uh, Psalm 25 and Psalm 26 are placed together purposefully. You know, we're expected to join the dots between them. Now, we came across this word uh, blameless just a a few weeks ago, in fact, when we were thinking about Noah, uh, who is, if you remember, described in Genesis as blameless. And we saw in the book of Genesis that Noah was far from being sinless or or perfect. So what did it mean for him to be blameless? Well, in the midst of all that wickedness of the world before the flood, Noah acted with integrity. He heard the Lord and he believed him and trusted his promises and he was wholehearted and undivided in his response. Likewise, in Psalm 26, David David is looking back at some situation where perhaps he's been blamed for something and he's saying before the Lord, no, in that situation, I lived blamelessly. I walked with integrity. In fact, if we look a little closer, we can see, in fact, precisely what David means by living blamelessly or walking with integrity. So look at the end of verse one, for example. Walking with integrity means trusting the Lord without wavering or slipping. Or look at the next couple of verses where David goes on to explain it a little more. Walking with integrity means that he has lived one way and hasn't lived another. So verse three, this is the way he has lived. For your love is ever before me, says David, and I walk continually in your truth. He has lived with the goodness and love of God before his eyes. He has depended upon the Lord's faithfulness and truth. You know, if we were to say that he hasn't done that, it would be wrong. Because he has. And then verses four and five, this is how he hasn't lived. From verse four, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. You know, I'm, I abhor wickedness. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. So I hope you can see what David is doing here. He's doing what any sensible person would do when they're unjustly accused of something wrong. Uh, So imagine someone accuses you of some serious crime. You know, you've stolen something uh, when you haven't. Uh, Or you've committed a sexual offence when you haven't. Or you've slandered someone or said something when you haven't. Uh, What should you do? Well, a sensible thing to do might be to go straight to the nearest police station and make a full, frank and open statement. And if anyone wants to question you there, you say, well, please do. I have nothing to hide. And that's basically what David is saying here, except he's saying it to God. He's openly entrusting himself to the greatest judge in the universe. We don't know the precise circumstances that brought this psalm about, but think, uh, for example, of uh, when David was forced to flee from Saul, and uh, Saul had irrationally and unjustly turned him into an outlaw and wanted to kill him. And uh, we can imagine in that situation uh, that um, 
Saul and his followers were accusing David of turning from the Lord, of uh, joining a wicked rebellion, perhaps, of conspiring against the king. Uh, But with all those accusations raining down on him, David here is able to appeal to the highest authority in his support. Lord, you know that I have kept walking with you. Lord, you know that I have not joined any wicked conspiracy. Lord, I am open before you. I have nothing to hide. Or think about some of the other key characters in the Bible. Think of Joseph in the book of Genesis, unjustly cast into prison by Potiphar. Or Daniel in the lion's den, also there, unjustly. They too, in that circumstance, would be right to pray like this, entrusting themselves to the one who judges justly. So think again of uh, pastors uh, Burnham, Matthias, and Abadnini, unjustly in prison as I speak, right now. Uh, I imagine, as uh, humble men, that they may not feel worthy to, to pray like this, Uh, But through the Bible, David is encouraging them. You can pray like this. You have been faithful. You haven't done any of the wicked things you're accused of doing. You have nothing to hide before the Lord. And you can be utterly open before him. And uh, likewise for us, if we were to find ourselves likewise unjustly accused... We're being encouraged to pray this way too. I was told uh, just this last week of someone involved in in disciplining the the pastor of a a church and that pastor had uh, committed adultery. But the pastor then accused him of adultery and and spread lies about him in, in the tabloid press. What would you pray in a situation like that? Or maybe something like this. Or I can think of another senior church leader unjustly accused of malpractice Uh, who had to wait two long years before his name to be cleared. And even then, not many people were that bothered or noticed. Now, you're caught in the midst of that. What the turmoil of being in the midst of that? How do you process that injustice? What can you pray in situations like that? Well, David says, I've been there. Pray like this. But as well as this this kind of deep openness before the Lord, there there are two more things that we can learn from learn from David before we finish about how to cope in those kind of situations. And the first of those is in verses six through to eight. So we've seen already, be open, says David, entrust yourself to the Lord, but make sure you also, secondly, delight in your relationship with him in that hard place. Delight in your relationship with him. So listen to David describing his own experience here. This is from verse six. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise, telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. As we've seen already, David is innocent of the unfaithfulness and wickedness he's been accused of. And what we're seeing here is that he's showing that by delighting in his ongoing relationship with the Lord. He's thinking of himself joining uh, God's people, encircling the altar in the tent or tabernacle of the Lord. 
knowing that the sacrifices on that altar give him a confidence as an imperfect man to approach a glorious and holy God. And he loves it. He loves it. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. So that's a delight in the Lord that David is encouraging us to have too. And I'm thinking at the moment, especially of uh, of those three pastors I mentioned, Pastor Burnham, currently in solitary confinement. What a terrible thing to have to undergo. Uh, The kind of loneliness that you might experience in that situation. And we might well wonder, in that situation, could he ever have any kind of joy or delight? Can anyone experience joy or delight in such isolation or loneliness? It's impossible, we might think. But remarkably, there is an important sense in which Pastor Burnham has a, a closer access to the glory of the Lord, even in his solitary confinement, than David ever did. Uh, after all, David's delight was in the house of the Lord, in the tabernacle. And there have been many times in David's life when his access to the tabernacle would have been cut off, uh, which must have been you know, really acutely distressing for him. And you get that sense of distress in some of David's psalms. But Pastor Burnham is in a different place. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's a disciple of the one in whom all of, all of that is fulfilled. And he knows that Jesus has promised to be with his disciples to the end of the age. This is the great truth we're remembering at Christmas time, isn't it? As John reminds us in his gospel, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, tabernacled, literally, tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I don't know whether Pastor Burnham will be able to rejoice in that this Christmas, but I certainly pray that he would. And I'd encourage you to be praying that too. And if he can amazingly experience the glory of God under such conditions, well then how much more should we? In fact, this is a part of the psalm which we can directly always apply to ourselves, you know, delighting in the glory of the Lord who came from the Father and tabernacled among us, full of grace and truth. And we too should be able to cry out, we love it, we love it. And then the final thing that we can learn from David is that having done all this, having been open with God and having delighted in in God, it is good and right in those unjust situations to cry out for deliverance. This is just in the final few verses from verse 9. In fact, take a look at verses 9 to 11 uh, with me and at the kind of thing that David cries out for. Verse 9. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men. Uh, Or the end of verse 11, for example. Redeem me and be merciful to me. Show favour to me. Don't take my life away with with the wicked. You know, I'm distancing myself from them. I'm devoted to you, Lord. Don't take my life away from them, from me. Redeem me. Be merciful. And that, in some ways, I guess, uh, completes uh, this prayer in Psalm 26. In situations of gross injustice, well, says David, I've been there. Follow my lead. 
bring that situation openly before the Lord delights as I did in your relationship with him and feel free to cry out for deliverance. But I wonder if uh, perhaps you're still not persuaded, still not persuaded you could ever, ever, ever pray this psalm for yourself. That may also make you doubt about whether praying like this, praying for deliverance like this, could ever get an answer from the Lord. And in some ways that's a good hesitation to have because it is of course true that there's only been one person in all of history who could ever pray, who could pray this prayer every day and in every situation. And uh, clearly that person was not David. Uh, We've seen that already, but uh, take that moment just after David, for example, was confronted by the, the prophet Nathan and admitted before the prophet that he deserved, that David deserved to die for his sin. You know, David could not have prayed this psalm at that point. That is very clear, I think. But there is, of course, a man who has been not just blameless, but perfect. There is one, of course, who trusted in his father without ever wavering. He committed no sin. And no deceit was in his mouth. He was handed over to death by people who betrayed innocent blood. And as we've been hearing on Sunday evenings and thinking about in our small groups, as the Apostle Peter tells us, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Just like David does here, but even more perfectly. So Psalm 26 does take us to to Jesus, as we might expect of a psalm of David, which means that every time we read this psalm, we can be drawn to delight in, in Jesus, who entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We can praise him and thank him for all of that, and we should do all of those things. But, but the story doesn't end there. Because, of course, Jesus warned his disciples that the, the way that he has been treated. We're going to be treated too. Betrayed unjustly by those closest to us. Handed over to unjust authorities. Arrested. Imprisoned. Some of us will be killed. And so the Lord Jesus calls us to follow his example. Suffering for doing good. Interesting ourselves also to the one who judges justly. And because when Jesus died, he died for our sins and was raised for our vindication, we can do all of that with absolute confidence. Because of all of that, as we trust in the Lord Jesus, we can pray the the words of Psalm 26 in the time of injustice, absolutely confident of deliverance, even through death. So we do not live in Iran. We may give thanks for that. But we do live in a society becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity, a culture that it's more and more accommodating of things that are wicked in God's sight. And as we follow God's call to distance ourselves from, from that wickedness, just as David did, and as that gap grows wider, we can expect the wicked to start throwing some mud at us. 
You know, we want to remain faithful to Jesus. And staying faithful to Jesus means staying faithful to the uh, ethical teaching of the Bible. Uh, But as our culture and as our denomination drifts away from that, the unjust accusations are already coming. We are, some say, the Taliban of the Christian world. Woman haters, homophobes, fanatics, an embarrassment. Those accusations are already coming to us and it's not likely to start getting better soon. We do want to be praying this Christmas, especially, I think, for those like Pastors Burnham, uh, Matthias, and Abed Nini in Iran. Uh, they're facing injustice in a very, very particular and horrible way. And uh, we can pray for them, I think, with Psalm 26 in mind, praying for their vindication, that they might entrust themselves to the one who judges justly, as David does here, delighting in Jesus, and uh, we can pray for their deliverance. So although this is a psalm that you may not feel able to pray for yourself every day, please don't forget it. Use it to pray for others. Use it to delight in Jesus in whom this psalm is fulfilled. And remember, there may well come a time when you will want to pray these words for yourself. Well, let's pray now. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to begin by uh, praying for Burnham Irani, Matthias Hagnajad, and Sayyid Abadini. Knowing, of course, that uh, they are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to those suffering gross injustice uh, because of their faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there'll be many, many, many others around the world suffering likewise. We pray that against the odds, you might bring them in their distress and anguish to delight in the Lord Jesus who went before them. We pray that we might join them as their brothers and sisters in Christ in delighting in the Lord Jesus who went before them and entrusted himself to you, the one who judges justly. But we pray that you would also prepare our hearts for the persecution you have warned us will come. Prepare our hearts that we might entrust ourselves to you who judges justly. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.